When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone. Just a quick message to thank our Patreons. This show is a one-man operation, and sometimes the costs of running the show make me wonder whether it's worthwhile. You guys answer that question for me. Our Patreons not only receive the episodes earlier than everyone on the standard feed, they also get extra episodes in the break in between seasons. I, like you, support the shows I listen to through Patreon. However, some people have asked if there's an alternate way that they can support the show. So, I'm glad to announce that if you're willing to support the content you listen to, you can go and buy me a coffee. It's a new website which allows you to make a one-time donation. And you can find the link for that, along with our Patreon link, in the show notes. Again, thank you to all of our supporters. You really do allow the show to continue. Live from Liverpool, The Dark Paranormal, Season 3. Hello once more, and welcome back to Season 3 of The Dark Paranormal. This week, we have a story that comes from a paranormally educated source. And by that, I mean it's not just an experience that's happened to a listener. It's an experience that happened to a research member of the SPR. For those unfamiliar with those initials, they stand for the Society of Psychical Research, an organisation set up in February 1882, following a conference in London to discuss the viability of setting up an organisation to carry out formal scientific research into the paranormal. Former alumni of the SPR include British Prime Ministers and Nobel Prize winners, so it's easy to see why even today the Society for Psychical Research carries some weight behind its name. You will of course recall from Season 2, when we took a look at the Enfield case, that it was the SPR who played a pivotal role in the Enfield haunting, sending its newest member, Morris Gross, out to investigate They also strengthened their identity as an unbiased research group, with some of the most fierce criticism of Enfield coming from directly within the SPR. I guess basically what I'm trying to say is when you receive a story of a lesser-known case that was investigated by an SPR member, you sit up and take notice. And that's exactly what I received via email from one of our listeners named Andrew recently. Andrew writes, Hi, Kevin. I'd like to share with you and your listeners a document from my father's paranormal collection, which he's held for over 65 years. Long interested in the paranormal, way before the advent of computers, my father would meticulously type out on a manual typewriter any account of the paranormal that he came across. This document in itself jumped out at me, 
as it mentions a story about a researcher from the SPR, which I know you mentioned in Season 2. I also have an interest in the paranormal, but nowhere near as much as my late father. It was going through some of his old documents when I stumbled upon this. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me sharing it with you and your listeners. Kind regards, Andrew. Now, Andrew's attached a scanned PDF copy of this document which his father has typed out. And let me say, as a paranormal enthusiast, it's a beautiful document to look at. I don't know why, when, say, compared to an email, that a manually typed out letter adds an air of authenticity to a ghost story. But to me, it just does. Before we get to that story, I'd just like to say a big thank you to our newest Patreon, Amy Chamberlain. Thank you, Amy. All contributions to the show literally keep the show going. So thank you very much. So once again, leave your disbelief at the door and join me as we hear from investigator T. Wilmot and his account of the haunting of Hanneth Hall. One poltergeist haunting I investigated as a young reporter more than 20 years ago stands out vividly in my memory, and recently I was reminded of it in a most unexpected way. On that story, I had sat up one night in an alleged haunted house in the hope of getting an offbeat story for my newspaper, and perhaps even seeing a ghost and maybe capturing its image on film. This kind of ghost hunt usually involves a photographer and one or more reporters. It's invariably a mixture of amused scepticism, strained banter, in brackets, plenty of puns on the word spirits, a sneaking suspicion that you're on a wild goose chase, and the occasional spine-chilling frisson induced either by an overexcited state of mind or by natural causes such as a creaking woodwork, water hammers, wind in chimneys or branches tapping at windows and rooftops. And the whole exercise is rounded off by the news editor's inevitable quip the next day. Ghost didn't show up then. Doesn't surprise me. It probably took a look at you lot once and fled. Recently, I was browsing in St Bride's Library, just off Fleet Street, during a lunch break. I'd been asked to write an article about Borley Rectory, but a book on poltergeists caught my eye. Flicking through it, I saw a photograph of an ivy-clad house. A house I'm never likely to forget. In a chapter headed Some Unusual Cases, I found that my haunting was discussed over seven pages. The book's author, Alan Gold, senior lecturer in psychology at the University of Nottingham, and Tony Cornell, president of the Cambridge University Society for Psychical Research, recount how they had been told of the poltergeist by a journalist on a local paper. I am that journalist. It was during October 1957 that I, as a new reporter on the Fenland Advertiser, wrote a series of news stories about a poltergeist a Hanneth Hall, situated in the Fen country, between the villages of Tid St Giles and Tid St Mary, some five miles from Wisbeck, 
At that time, the tenant of the 17th century 14-room manor house was Mr. Derek Page, then prospective Labour candidate for the Isle of Ely constituency, in brackets, later MP for Kings Lynn, and now a Labour peer. Mr. Page and his family, wife Audrey, now dead, children aged three and five, and Mrs. Page's mother, had moved in two months earlier. From the outset, they began to hear things that go bump in the night. Mrs. Page told of being woken in the night by a knocking noise in the bedroom. It wasn't just a tapping. It was a very hard knocking. But there was nothing to be seen anywhere in the room or in the gallery corridor outside. Another time, she was in a downstairs room when she heard the stairs creaking as though a person's weight was being shifted from one step to another. But there was no one on the stairs. Mrs. Page's mother was the next victim. She woke in the night to a tremendous crashing at my bedroom door, as if the whole door was being forced in. After a while, the noises died away. Mr. Page's mother came to stay. The very first morning, she complained of loud bumps and crashes during the night. At the end of the week, she couldn't stand it any longer, so went home to Manchester. Next, I talked to the previous occupant of the house, Mr. Hugh Williams, who had moved a few miles from Tid. He lived at Hanath Hall for more than 40 years, and, yes, he also had heard the noises too, just as the pages had described. The house had a ghost legend, he said, which dated from the early 19th century, when it was owned by a farmer, Joseph Hanath, a miserly chap who paid each of his workers only a sovereign a year. When his wife died, he kept her corpse in her room for six weeks before having it buried, but told the maid to take up her meals as usual. When I was quite young, Mr Williams added, I remember one of our maids screaming in the night and running from the house. We never found out what had frightened her because she never came back. Mr. Page seemed amused by the ghost, saying, I'm perfectly willing to leave it alone so long as it doesn't interfere with me. My own opinion, of course, he added jocularly, is that the noises are caused by the old Tories turning in their graves. It was a good quote, and the paper's editor ran my story under the headline, Old Tories Haunt My Home, Says Labour Man. The story sparked off a good deal of interest locally. So, I suggested to Mr Page that we should keep a midnight tryst with the ghost on October the 31st, Halloween. I roped in the chief reporter, in brackets, I'm just coming along for the laugh, he said. The photographer and three professional men from Wisbeck, in brackets, one a hospital anaesthetist who brought his Alsatian dog. We met up at a mist-enshrouded house at around 10pm on Halloween. There were two main parts of the house that were to be watched. The long, eerie gallery with its beams and the old swords and flintlocks festooning its walls, and the haunted bedroom at the far end of the gallery, which was used to store some spare mattresses and furniture. 
all the rooms upstairs opened onto this gallery, so there was no possibility that anyone or anything could come or go without our knowing. At around 11.30pm, when Mr Page's family had gone to bed, we took up our positions. The doctor's group took the haunted room. Mr Page, myself and colleagues positioned ourselves in the nooks and crannies along the gallery, dimly lit by a solitary bulb. After some predictable jokes, we settled down to await the witching hour, the stroke of twelve. Midnight chimed, then the quarters. Owls hooted in the distance, old wooden beams creaked, and from the doctor's room came the low whine of the dog, unhappy about its unfamiliar surroundings. As 1am approached, I wrote in my notebook, an icy, almost malevolent atmosphere. There's an overpowering smell of something like sandalwood. It's coming in wafts every few minutes, as though someone is gently blowing it along. The temperature has dropped very suddenly. There was no sound other than the owls outside and ourselves easing our cramped limbs and stifling yawns. Then, a muffled noise from one of the other bedrooms... None of us was willing to investigate it. 2am comes and goes. By 2.30am we had just about given up the ghost. The party in the haunted room emerges. They too have had quite enough. We were all forced to admit that the house was quieter than our own homes. My reporter colleague and I compared notes. It's a very creepy house and it has a kind of chilliness that's not just caused by the cold. The sort that makes you wonder. I wrote a light-hearted piece for the paper which was headlined, Ah, Sandalwood, but no sign of the ghost. Nevertheless, I decided to report the case to the Society for Psychical Research in London. They put me in touch with one of their members in Cambridge, Mr Tony Cornell. Yes, he would be willing to investigate the apparent haunting with some of his research colleagues. We agreed on a date to meet up in Wisbeck. On that cold, misty night of November the 16th, I met Mr Cornell's party in town and, in my car, guided their car to the house. Mr Cornell had brought with him Mr Alan Gold, Mr J.D. Murray and Mr, now the Reverend, J.M. Brotherton. All members of the Cambridge University Society for Psychical Research. I brought along two non-journalist friends. We arrived at Hannah Hall about 10.30pm. At 11.30pm, Mr Cornell set up his Ouija board, in brackets, an upturned wine glass and letters of the alphabet placed around in a circle, to conduct a seance in the sitting room. Apparently, psychic researchers often use a Ouija board as a cunning device to get everyone in a house in one place at a given time, so that none of their number can slip away to do some reconnoitering. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. 
And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step-by-step -step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Mr. Page, myself, and three others each placed the tip of a forefinger on the base of the inverted wine glass. The idea is that you all start willing the glass to move. Amazingly. After a minute or two of concerted effort, it does. Nobody seems to know exactly why or how. We took it in turns to ask the spirit some questions. Who are you? The glass spelt out the word H-A-N-N-A-T-H. Hanath. Where do you come from? D-E-V-I-L-S-P-I-T-S Devil's Pits Well, where is that? I-N-L-I-M-B-O In Limbo what is your wife's name? we asked. F A N N 
Why? Fanny. Why are you here? L O O K I N G F O R S O M E O N E. The device sped up. Who are you looking for? There was no reply. Will you give us a sign of your presence in this room? It moved to yes. Will you make an object move? Nothing moves. Do you have a message for anyone? It moves again to yes. Who is it for? T O N Y Tony. What is the message? K I L L T O N Y The glass moves so quickly we have difficulty keeping our fingers on it. The last message caused much amusement and comments that it wasn't a bad idea. Mr. Cornell assured everyone that Ouija board messages were not to be taken seriously. One reason being that it was virtually impossible to rule out that someone is deliberately or unwittingly pushing the glass. The participants, he said, were simply talking to their own subconscious minds. During the seance, Mr. Cornell and Mr. Gold have been keeping watch in the haunted room. They claim to have heard mysterious footsteps on the stairs and recorded a drop in temperature from 60 degrees Fahrenheit to 52 degrees Fahrenheit. They also heard loud rappings in the room, coming first from the floorboards between them both, then from nearer the wall. They said they could guess specific numbers of raps on request. In their book, Mr. Cornell and Mr. Gold say, We questioned them, the raps, by means of a simple code. They answered leading questions but could not spell out coherent messages. The rapper claimed to be a woman who'd been murdered in the house in 1906, a claim we have not been able to substantiate. At about 1.30am, I asked Mr Cornell if he needed me or any of my friends to help his investigation in any way. He said no, so the three of us left the house to return to Wisbeck. As I recall, my car wouldn't start, and we went back to the house to ask Mr Page if he would run us home, which he did. In their book, the authors of that incident say, not long after we returned to the haunted house, the journalist and his two friends had come back to the house. They said their car had broken down. The implication in that seems clear enough, that our breakdown was simply an excuse to return. Mr Page was to tell me later that the research team had discovered the possibility that I and my companions were trying to pull a hoax on them. But it's hard to see how Mr Cornell could have seriously thought that we had caused the wrappings when he and Mr Gold were actually in the haunted room over long periods and when his two other colleagues were watching other parts of the house. Nor were the pages themselves above suspicion. The adults in the family were asked to sign statements 
that they were in no way involved in producing the wrappings. In brackets, the two children were considered too young to be practical jokers. Mr Cornell and Mr Gold also say that they were leaving the haunted room to rejoin the others downstairs when they heard a noise behind them. They saw that a wooden dining chair which had been stacked about five feet from the mattress was now lying on top of the mattress. The wrappings had continued long into the night until finally dying away. The researchers had tried to find out the wrapper's age at death, but with no success. The team made several more visits to the house that month, and in early December, I asked Mr Page if he knew the results of the investigation. He said no. The team had been evasive and reluctant to discuss what had happened. But they had told him they were convinced it was a genuine haunting. On December the 14th, my follow-up story, about the page's dilemma, appeared under the headline, Are we haunted or not? The Page family wants to know. In April 1959, nearly two years after my original story, the Cambridge University men were still investigating the mysterious wrappings. By then, I had left Wisbeck and was working for a Wolverhampton paper. On one occasion, they held a seance in the haunted room using a non-professional medium. They write in their book, A woman calling herself Eliza Cullen, or Culler, came through and she said she had made the raps. She said she had buried her baby in the garden, but we could not trace any person of that name. Today, 25 years after those events, Derek Page, now Lord Wadden, lives in Royston, Hertfordshire, and he told me, No, I never really got a satisfactory explanation about the strange goings-on at that house. And to this day, I don't know if what we all heard was a genuine poltergeist. There is a curious sequel that I haven't told anyone before. In 1977, when my mother was dying, she told me what had frightened her so much at Hanath Hall. The first night she had woken up, she'd found herself floating in the air, looking down at herself in bed. She said she knew that if she didn't struggle back down to herself, she would die. The same thing happened to her the next night. She woke, floating in her room, with an overwhelming fear that she must get down to herself in bed, and that if she didn't, she would be dead. After those two experiences, she decided she couldn't stay in the house any longer. My story is not quite at an end. For the psychic investigators themselves pose an intriguing question in their book. Could the rapping noises have been fraudulently produced? And if so, was one of their own number doing the faking? They write, There is no escaping the conclusion that the only persons who could have faked the phenomena were ourselves. When the rappings began, we each suspected the other, and we watched each other like hawks. In the darkened room, they had each switched on their torches without warning during the rappings, and each of us is prepared to assert that if the other had been making the noises, with his hand or with a reaching rod, he would have been detected. The bitter bit? It's an intriguing thought.
So, was Hanath Hall a genuine case of poltergeist haunting? It's a question that seems to defy an unequivocal answer. What a great story, and it does feature a number of SPR researchers that I've never personally heard of prior to this story. One thing that is exciting about this particular case is, as Andrew explains in his email, this letter was typed in 1983, which means we have the benefit of the internet now to research anything on the history of Hanath Hall and indeed anything that's happened since that time and present day. And this allows us to find little comments like this one from an anonymous contributor to the website hauntedisles.blogspot.com. I lived in this house for years and I strongly believe that it is haunted. And my brother, when he was younger, didn't stay in the haunted room, but rather the old maid's room and frequently had conversations with a lady called Mary. I've had many experiences myself of things and also a couple of my friends when I was a young teen. The most prominent feeling at the top of the stairs that many people have said is that there's someone standing behind you, ready to push you. I love the house, and my mother and partner still live there. It's been in this family for many years, and we quite often visit. It's a beautiful place, so long as you're not on the stairs. A real interesting point of the Hanath Hall case is it marks a landmark turning point in the SPR itself. Indeed, in their attitude towards poltergeist cases. Up until that case, the SPR's theory was that poltergeist activity was caused either by running water underground or by earth tremors. However, both of those explanations were ruled out in the Hanath Hall's case. As such, not only did this force the SPR to go back and revisit how they look at poltergeist cases and the theories behind them, but it also made the Hanath Hall haunting the best-attested post-war poltergeist case in Britain up until the Enfield case of 1977. So, Andrew, thank you so much for sending that email on. I know that you said your father's sadly passed, but I think he'd be happy in the knowledge that his work is still continuing to this day and is still finding an audience in the ears of paranormal listeners in 2021. Don't forget, listeners, that season three that we're currently in the midst of is a listener story season. So, if you're sitting on a story which you think is ripe enough for the dark paranormal, then please send it on to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. And on the proviso, it passes my test, which basically means on my first read-through, I get a shiver down the spine, then I'll be sure to read it out. But thank you again for joining me on The Dark Paranormal. I'll be back next week with more of your stories. And remember until then, leave your disbelief at the door and look out for The Dark Paranormal.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.